This week, we discuss job hunting, work conditions, and reactions from locals in Northern California's cannabis underbelly. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical Grass. I'm from Poland and I am a true migrant. That thrilling little electronic ditty was a track by Jay Neniak, aptly titled Trimmer. And that strange robotic monster voice you heard was my guest for this week's episode, a man who goes by the pseudonym of Slav. For various reasons of security and confidentiality, he requested me to use not just a pseudonym, but to also alter his voice a bit so as not to be potentially recognized by anyone. And hopefully over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, you will understand why. Personally, I'm very excited to use vocal effects on the podcast. It's a first for me, and I've always wanted to have that sound effect that witnesses from America's Most Wanted Criminals have. But I hope it doesn't put off or scare anyone listening to the show. Slav is actually a very friendly guy, and the music is just for dramatic effect. Today, we're dealing with the topic of immigrants, specifically those who go to California to work on cannabis farms during harvest time with the aim of trimming harvested cannabis plants to look all nice and pretty for potential buyers. Trimigrants, as they have been dubbed by the locals, is a portmanteau of trimmer and immigrant, if you haven't figured that one out already. These individuals come from all over to work on these farms, and they risk a lot to get there and to work there. California may have legalized recreational cannabis last year, but the number of licensed growers who can legally employ people to do their trimming work for them is still incredibly low. According to the San Francisco Business Times, last year less than 1% of cannabis growers in California actually hold state licenses, as they claim that regulations are too expensive and too prohibitive. The black market is still thriving despite the efforts of the state to curb it. Well, if human labor is in the legal gray area, why not just get some machines to do the dirty work? Could be faster and cheaper, right? Well, if you work in a dispensary or in retail, you would know that machines are incapable of doing such detailed work that a human being can do. There is the concept of bag appeal, which is another way of saying you purchase pot with your eyes. 
If cannabis doesn't look very appealing, for example, it has a lot of stems, contains foliage or other plant material, seeds, and so on, not to mention mold or pests, no one is going to want to buy it. It's all about the perfectly manicured buds that still contain all the THC-containing trichomes and how enticing they look. That's what moves the product, at least in terms of appearance. Then you have the smell test, though that's more up to the plant genetics and the diligence of the grower. But appearance is where the trimmers come in. To date, no one has produced a bud trimming AI robot, and the machines that are currently on the market may be able to trim at a much faster rate than humans, and some are quite precise. But nothing can match the skill and level of detail of the human eye. So for now, it looks like trimmigrants are the best option. Additionally though, they are the unsung heroes of California cannabis culture. Much like immigrants who come to the US to pick produce, trimmigrants play a vital role in the new cannabis economy, performing tasks that most average Americans will not do. I spoke to Slav in person not long after he returned from one of his trips to the Golden State, and I asked him a bit about his background with cannabis. Well, I've been an occasional smoker for close to a decade now. Um, Obviously, um, cannabis being illegal here in Poland, uh, with big emphasis on occasional because you can't always get it or you can't always get what you want because you never know what you're getting. But over the years, I I, uh, developed a taste for it, for sure, for its... uh, uh, potency, but also as a mean to, to, to spark uh, some creativity uh, or sensitivity in, in me. I, I became more um, sensitive to, to aesthetics as an artist uh, because of that. Uh, and I do believe that uh, it's direct uh, influence of, uh, of ganja. I went to uh, place uh, close to Sacramento. Uh, It's uh, on the Sierra foothills. Uh, And the reason I chose this place uh, was uh, just because uh, my friends uh, have been there before also trimming uh, and they were they were my hookup. Talking to my friends before uh, before coming to California uh, uh, I already knew that uh, I can have any expectations because this uh, business and this particular part of this business is very unpredictable and um, if you don't have a specific place that you've been coming to over the years, um, it's always a gamble. You might find work, but maybe not necessarily. And my story is uh, two seasons in uh, that, uh, yes, I did work, trimming. But uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get to make as much money as uh, you hear people making in this industry doing this particular uh, job with weed. So, like many other users of cannabis, Slav became a fan once he discovered how much it helped him with his creative work. The fact that he had friends in Northern California made entering the canna underbelly that much easier. But not everyone is as fortunate as Slav, which led to the question of how does one hunt for a job as a trimmer? Is it a matter of just knowing someone, or can you just show up in one of the towns near the Sierra foothills or the so-called Emerald Triangle and start asking people if they need labor? 
Uh, actually, uh, I know that many people uh, do look for work this way. Um, maybe I'm, I'm too shy to, to try it. But generally, uh, you have to have a hookup. You have to know someone uh, or uh, have someone to recommend you. Uh, I had two friends already working on a farm uh, and they still barely convinced the owner to let me work because uh, of the issues uh, with trust and with this still sort of being on the on the verge of being illegal or legal mm, many farms uh, are not registered and uh, I would say most of the of the trimming work that's being done in California um, right now is still um, is still illegal so um, you definitely need to know someone and be but also be prepared not to find any work at all Due to the complex legal situation of cannabis in California, growers or farm owners are incredibly suspicious and careful of anyone trying to access their properties. An understandable approach, especially given the fact that these growers have been in the shadows for decades. I was curious as to whether Slav himself had any fears or concerns going to look for work in the Sierra foothills, particularly as someone from across the Atlantic Ocean. First of all, like I mentioned uh, before, uh, just a mere fear of not finding any work or not being able to, to con connect with people to the extent that they trust you and let you work. Um, of course, there are some other fears that I faced, uh, including some stories that I heard about, uh, you know, some shady things happening around, uh, around this industry. It's still... Um, as we all know, it's still a very illegal drug federally in the States. Uh, and especially for someone who comes uh, to America on a tourist visa and is not allowed to work at all, uh, especially if it's, if it's illegal industry. In addition to there being no guarantee of finding employment, trimmigrants also risk serious legal consequences as they don't have work visas. Combine that with working on what are technically illegal grow operations, you can land in hot water rather quickly, and your chances of arrest and subsequent deportation become even greater. But let's say you do manage to find a farm that is either trustful enough or desperate enough to let you trim their crops. How do they know you are legit, and what is the vetting process, if there is one? Well, my story for the first time, uh, my story was that uh, I was driving to the, to the mountains uh, and um, I had to uh, leave the rental car a few towns back uh, and hitchhike up the mountains uh, where there is no cell phone ser service. So I had no means to contact my friends uh, whom I was joining with, uh, but they told the owner that I'm coming and he just walked up to me in the nearest town. I was sitting in a cafe. He walked, walked up to me and asked uh, if I know this or that person. I said, yes, uh, we introduced each other and he, he picked me up and we drove together to the farm. And literally um, on the way there, he asked me a few questions if I worked before um, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and that was just like my trial couple of days. Mm, and that was only because uh, 
uh, two of my good friends were already working for him, uh, so they vouched for me. But still, um, it was a complicated process of uh, getting him to 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 trust yet another person to 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 work for him. They're really suspicious uh, about pretty much everything in this industry. Mostly, it's based on a network of contacts. Uh, uh, all the people that uh, come for trimming uh, have extended network of contacts and especially if they've done it a couple of times they know people from other places or other countries um, it's a very international environment uh, during the season uh, so the growers don't, don't really have to worry about finding workforce because uh, they will always have people from previous years or their friends stuff like that but it's still very very explosive so like you said before you can't really walk up uh, to, to someone and ask for work because um, I, I did say that some people do that but generally uh, it's not really the best way to, to find this work. It almost sounds like a crime novel but given the legal circumstances and the potential consequences it should come as no surprise that you have to know somebody and that you are not gaining access to the growth sites without being vetted or vouched for first. So having contacts is essential if you want to find work. Let's say you're lucky enough to know someone who can vouch for you and the property owner gives you the thumbs up. Do you get any training and what are the work conditions like once you get going? Pretty much on the fly, on the go, uh, you just uh, start working, start trimming, and uh, uh, of course you can ask people working alongside with you, uh, or ask the owner if your performance is good. Um, actually, it's not that hard of a job um, to, to trim a bud. It's relatively easy work, uh, but time is crucial. So the faster you are, the more money you make, and the better it is for, for, for the grower as well, because they want to process uh, their product as fast as they can and just let it go. Usually no neighbors. Uh, all, all of the places are usually very much secluded. Uh, I know that uh, some um, some farms or some uh, some growers discourage workers from like taking walks around because they don't want people wandering around the property or the neighborhood or the woods surrounding the uh, the property uh, because they don't want to draw any attention, which is understandable. Um, but uh, the the atmosphere uh, during work is uh, sort of a combination of the two things you mentioned. Um, on, on the one hand, it's sort of like an assembly line, a uh, couple, sometimes tens, people, tens of people uh, uh, working together, uh, trimming away, like you said, um, and going really fast. But at the same time, um, it's a very relaxed environment. Uh, you have people from all over the world, uh, which is also another aspect that uh, that uh, makes people coming back there because uh, because you make new friendships and you meet interesting people from all over the world. People who are willing to take the risk to to come to California and trip because it is a risk, especially if you travel halfway around the world to to find uh, this work. So uh, it's a very relaxed environment. Uh, most of the places people smoke weed during work. There's always music, there's always conversation. Uh, people are very friendly, but at the same time, uh, the pace of work is set really high 
and uh, if you're there just for the um, like social uh, aspect of it, uh, you won't work too long because uh, they really put emphasis on the speed of working. Mm-hmm. So as long as you work fast, you can smoke, you can even drink during work, you can do whatever you want, but you need to move the product. And usually uh, it's also incentive for um, for the workers just to just to make more because it's paid by pound, not per hour. Uh, usually, majority of places uh, pay by pound. Uh, it varies from place to place. Uh, also, the mm, the rates. Uh, dropped uh, substantially during the last couple of years and it used to be as high as 250 dollars per pound only a few years ago so you could easily make a couple hundred dollars a day um, if you're fast but uh, over the course of the last couple of years has been dropping the, the wages so now people are trading for as low as $100 per pound, uh, which is good if you if you trim 2-3 pounds a day, but it's really fast-paced to, to do as much. Time is key, and growers want their product ready as soon as possible. So while the trimmers cut and snip away, they need to be aware of the fact that they aren't there to purely socialize or profess their love of the ganj. Based on what Slav describes, it seems like hard work that can be decently rewarded and comes with a few additional perks. But if time is of the essence, why aren't growers using machines, which can be several times faster than a group of humans, and don't require work visas or vetting procedures? That's a good question, Uh, one that I've been thinking about uh, uh, ever since I first came to California to do this. Usually, it's uh, people. There are some some growers who who use uh, certain machinery or certain like tumblers and stuff to to pre-trim the weed or to just trim the weed. But um, it's a very meticulous kind of um, activity. So a uh, human is always going to be better than the machine. And for them uh, to empl- employ a couple of people over the course of a month or two months, it's not that big of expense, uh, but there's always emphasis on quality, on, on the outcomes, on how uh, the buds look like when they're ready product, ready to sell, and they need to be spotless. Unlike here in Europe, when uh, where it's not, um, there, there aren't such high expectations uh, as for um, the way um, the wheat looks like. Uh, in California and I think in the States in general, uh, people judge by the smell and by the looks. So uh, usually uh, trimmers just do a better job with, with that. During my first year, uh, one of the people we were trimming with uh, the Sharpie pen at some point and uh, wrote about the entrance to the trimming room, the beauty salon. Um, because we're just making the buds beautiful. Uh, Leafless, seedless, stemless, uh, they need to look beautiful. So I think it is an art form in a way, but uh, also it's very very repetitive work, uh, very boring, uh, to be honest. Uh, And that's probably why people tend to smoke during trimming or 
listening to music, listening to podcasts, or just talking all the time. Slav touches on another very interesting aspect here, namely the ability to create something aesthetically pleasing. Machines will only do as much as you instruct them or allow them to, and they are still a long ways away from being able to understand the concept of making something beautiful. Only a human can understand what makes another human appreciate the beauty of a natural product. We now know it's people that will make up this labor force for the foreseeable future, but who are they and where do they come from? I asked Slav to talk about the geographical backgrounds of those coming to work in these cannabis beauty parlors. Traditionally, uh, Americans don't trim. Not because they're lazy or something like that, because even for, uh, for American standards, uh, you can make a lot of money doing that. But um, to me, it's understandable that uh, growers tend to and prefer to employ people from other countries. Uh, because I think they can trust them more. Because if someone travels halfway around the world to, to work, uh, they're not going to screw them over. And if you have some local people, maybe they have some friends. Maybe they will say too much. And maybe someone greedy will come and try and rob them or something like that. So this is the, mm, the danger, I think, which uh, makes the growers uh, tend to employ people from abroad, people from from out of out of the country, not even out of state. Uh, uh, honestly, I haven't met a single American trimming in the woods. I met some people working with weed in the cities, but uh, traditionally where, where ganja is growing, uh, on the foothills of Sierra, Sierra Mountains, or in Humboldt County, or in Mendocino County, uh, I would say most, if not all, of the trimmers are actually trimigrants, people who came there for this, for this season work. It's difficult to listen to what kind of people trimigrants are in California and not think of migrant workers who are also working in the state as fruit pickers or in other seasonal jobs. If you're a local, you're going to need steady, regular work throughout the whole year to survive. Working as a trimmer in the remote hills simply isn't going to cut it financially. So in this respect, it's an outsider who isn't concerned with things like work permits, income tax, job security, insurance, and the like, who has the best chances of being hired. Couple that with the fact that immigrants are statistically less likely to commit crimes, as having a criminal record will ensure them a meeting with the immigration authorities and a one-way ticket back home, you now understand why a grower might not want to hire a local who can be a potential liability for the reasons Slav mentions. Well, what about the locals? What is their reaction to said trimigrants? I think uh, the word trimigrant on its own <laughs> describes uh, their approach. So uh, their approach is, uh, of course, friendly, uh, but there is a little bit of the hate towards people coming in. Uh, it's not the kind of work the locals would do, still, like I said, uh, but uh, they are aware that uh, mm, this also boosts local businesses, uh, the, the workers need to eat, they need to go out sometimes, if possible, uh, so for sure the season of trimming is uh, uh, supporting local uh, local communities and also uh, very often growers uh, 
uh, are engaged uh, in in what's happening locally. Very often, it's like a common thing uh, among growers. Uh, they um, enroll as uh, volunteer firefighters. Uh, they're trying to to support the community. Uh, maybe because of a little bit of guilt, because something uh, parts of their business is illegal. Uh, but also a lot just to have something legitimate to, to show for, I guess, because they can't really brag about their operation. Well, it turns out, trimigrants also create ancillary jobs. Just like everyone else, they need to eat, go out, spend money, and occasionally use various services. So while they aren't putting money directly into the state's coffers, they are directly supporting the local communities they live in. I asked Slav to describe a typical day in the life of a trimigrant. Very often uh, you share the meals with the rest of the crew, uh, which is the very nice part that uh, it's not uh, everyone on its own, uh, but uh, at least there is this community aspect of uh, cooking together and sharing meals. So we would start with breakfast. Uh, Some people uh, have already started working before breakfast, So they only stop for 15 minutes uh, and get back to work after that. And pretty much the whole day is uh, working. Uh, Of course, there's there's always a break for lunch, uh, but uh, people don't take time off after lunch. They don't take a nap. They just go back to trimming. Uh, And it varies from place to place, but usually people are willing to work late into the night uh, some places even as late as 1, 2 a.m., only to wake up at 7 a.m. and start working again. Uh, of course, uh, sometimes people take afternoon off, they go to a nearest town to, to get a pizza or get a beer or just, you know, experience something else than trimming that they've been doing for the past two weeks or something. Usually, uh, if you have a small farm, uh, you need a couple of people to process everything uh, in a couple of weeks. Sometimes it could be less, maybe three weeks. Uh, sometimes it's up to two months. Uh, but uh, most of the places, definitely most of the growers, uh, prefer to have um, a set crew of trimmers that doesn't change throughout the season. So they would have those people for a month, two months, couple of weeks, uh, trimming pretty much every day, seven days a week, until until the product is uh, finished, until all the wheat is trimmed. Mm, and then everyone goes their own direction, and the, the growers take care of the styling of the product. So nothing really glamorous, just trimming, snipping, cutting for most of the day. You're in close quarters with a small group of people for a couple of weeks or months at a time, with the occasional venture into town for some escapism. The money is decent, the work's slightly tedious after a while, and it's a bit of a pain getting to the grow sites to begin with. I was curious as to what makes Slav want to keep going back, and what his favorite part of the job is. The biggest incentive is uh, money, because you still can uh, make a lot of money uh, doing that. Especially in comparison to to Europe, or especially in comparison to Poland. Mm. So, I think that's the main driver. But also, uh, just to spend some time in the woods. Of course, mostly it's work. Uh, My last job was 12 hours a day. Uh, But you get to hang out with cool people from all over the world. 
make some new friendships, uh, get to know their cultures and their nations, um, and uh, you don't have a boss breathing down your neck all the time like in big corporations or even if you work a service job like uh, a barton bartender um, you always have the owner who, who's pushing you for more cleanness or um, more sales or this or that uh, the growers have always at least a couple of trimmers so even if you're a little slower uh, then i guess it's just on you because you make less money but at the same time and the growers will get what they need which is a finished product that they, they can sell I like working with my hands, um, working with something natural, uh, most of the places uh, growing outside, um, so it's the best possible weed you can find, uh, maybe not on the planet, but definitely in the States and Europe and some other places, probably too. Um, so it's nice to, to see, see this plant uh, in that form and work with it. Uh, at the end of the day, of course, uh, the main driver is uh, money because uh, for most of the people uh, it's the only chance to make substantial amount of money. Uh, but also it's, uh, it's kind of a retreat. If you uh, go up the mountain and stay on a farm for a couple of weeks, you basically stay in the woods. Uh, and uh, especially if you live in a city um, like myself, it's, it's always great to encounter the nature for longer than just a weekend and especially in such a beautiful place as California. Just like migrant workers coming to the US from Mexico and Central America, people come for the opportunity to make money that they wouldn't be able to make back home. The big difference here being the rather prestigious job of producing some of the world's finest cannabis. These parts of California are much more than just immigrants coming to help sell weed, however. You can find several fascinating stories about life in these rural parts of Northern California in a wonderful book titled Humboldt, Life on America's Marijuana Frontier by Emily Brady. Another cannabis rabbit hole certainly worth going down. On that note, however, we say goodbye to this week's guest. I did want to thank you for speaking to me today uh, about uh, trimming and trimigration. And uh, I wish you good luck on your next journey to California and your next uh, trimming project. Thank you. And the pleasure is mine. That does it for episode 17. Feel free to share if you enjoyed it. My name is Bogdan. You'll be hearing from me again soon. I wanted to leave you with a bit of an ode to those leaving their homes to find work in foreign lands. A track by Garcia's Grooves titled Immigrant. Let's lend a helping hand to those without whom our economies would look very different. Peace, y'all. I, I read a study that indicated that actually the, uh, the, the largest number of illegal, quote, illegal immigrants come from European countries. But no one ever considers the possibility that a white person could be an illegal. I mean, I know quite a number of illegal people, you know, from places like uh, Britain and France who come in on student visas and decide to stay, and they don't even feel threatened. I mean, it's interesting, they are not even afraid of the INS. 
whereas people who are, quote, legal citizens, but who look as if they might come from another country, fear what the INS might do to them, or that if they don't have their ID with them, that they might get deported. So isn't it interesting that in all three of these um, examples that I've given, the figures are clearly racialized figures. And I think that there's a structural connection between the demonization of the immigrant and the criminalization of populations of color in this country.